Welcome back to Jokerman. This is uh, part two of our exploration of the 1967 album, John Wesley Harding. So we're diving right into side B of this record. Welcome back, Ian. Thank you, Evan. Glad to be here. I think that it's uh, worth starting off with uh, some really important news that we're recording this on the very day of Bob Dylan's actual birthday. Uh, yes, Bob Dylan's actual birthday, 79 years young. And it's a, a big birthday for him because around this time, uh, there's been a lot of Bob activity. I feel like he's sort of the hot name on everybody's lips. Everybody's kind of muttering and talking about who is this guy, who's Bob Dylan. Um, oh, I like him, I like him, I don't like him. He's as controversial and as thought-provoking a character as he ever has been in the popular imagination. That's true. I wonder if he's going to have like a, um, you know, if there's going to be like a Bob Dylan uh, TikTok account or something that rolls out to promote the album. Bob Dylan uh, appearing on Fortnite to... Right. Yeah. <laughs> to but, talk about Rough Dylan. and Rowdy Ways, the new album uh, coming out on Columbia. Uh, there's going to be a 20 minute uh, Fortnite um, like uh, cutscene uh, of the entire um, murder most foul story. Uh, yeah. Some sort of Fortnite assassination of JFK by the mafia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone should pitch this at least if they if they haven't. If he wants but. to sell some records, I mean, that that appears to be the way to do it these days. Well, uh, this is a another way to do it because honestly, I I want to sell records with this podcast. I want people to go out and buy Bob Dylan albums and records because the man can't <laughs> have enough uh, sales. You know, that's right. He's yeah, gotta, he's, he's got to keep uh, pay, paying that mortgage in Malibu. Yeah, but for now, let's just work on the sales for the 1967 album. John Wesley Harding, which we are beginning on side B of right now. This uh, side of the record kicks off with Dear Landlord, um, another song about a character. Um, in this case, a character who's writing a very calm Letter to his landlord. To his landlord, indeed. Where, where he says, my dreams are beyond control, and please don't put a price on my soul. Right. Things that you'd say to... to maybe things that you want to say to your landlord. Ha <laughs> Yeah, this... Uh, I think it makes sense to talk about this in the context of uh, at least the next two here, and I guess not Drifter's Escape, because that was on side A, which we recorded before, not during the same recording session. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the, this, this sort of run of little tracks here in the middle of the record, Drifter's Escape, Dear Landlord, I Am a Lonesome Hobo, and I Pity the Poor Immigrant. These are all sort of small-scale character study type songs, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think what I was thinking about uh, earlier, you know, before we started um, chatting, is just, uh, again, how this kind of contrasts what, with what has come before which obviously a lot of the protest songs and then certainly some songs on uh, the electric records as well spoke to these large uh, society-wide kind of issues. I'm thinking of like Gates of Eden, uh, Masters mm -hmm. of War, uh, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, 
uh, these these uh, screeds that spoke to all manner of uh, injustice. You get the picture of Dylan, like you know, uh, as Moses. These these are a little bit more microcosms, focusing on on one character in right. in one of those in a similar vein, but um, a little bit more. Uh, picaresque, maybe. Is that the word? Yeah, uh, that might be the word. I actually don't know that I can rattle off a definition for picaresque off the top of my head, but that sounds correct. Oh, shit, I didn't even say it right. Let's 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 just pre- let's let's assume that you did. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know what? I I was so I was so right actually. Were you? Did you, you want me to read you the definition of picaresque? Sure. Relating to an episodic style of fiction dealing with the adventures of a rough and dishonest but appealing hero. That actually sounds... A little sounds bit of a picaresque. I think that's the drifter right uh, there. Yeah, that sounds like the perfect uh, the perfect kind of definition for the drifter and the tenant who was writing the letter to his dear landlord, presumably, and the lonesome yeah, hobo yeah, exactly. and the poor immigrant. Um, you know, I love when I realize that I actually did know what a word meant. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I don't know my own strength. There you go. Uh, that can be like a recurring bit. You know, podcasts are supposed to have recurring bits, so we can uh, learn a new interesting word every week. <laughs> sure, sure. If there's a word in uh, a song that maybe feels special, we can kind of focus in on it and have a word of the week. Right. We can uh, look up the definition in Merriam-Webster, look up the definition in um, uh, uh, other dictionaries, see how they compare... <laughs> Yeah, uh, it could be a really interesting kind of side. Um, awesome you know, idea. Side tangent for the pod. Maybe get that segment sponsored also by Capital One. Yeah, yeah, or we should. We're we're going to have to have some sponsored segments. Got to draft some emails and hope for a response. Let's hope. Anyways, uh, dear landlord, I I appreciate Bob's attention to the the micro with with this record and and these characters. Uh, who are on the receiving end of all these injustices that previously he was speaking out against uh, with this this voice of God, um, you know, kind of waterfall of words uh, that mm. characterized a lot of the sound in the earlier records. And now he's, uh, you know, these are short songs. There's not a lot to them. It's very simple, plain language, obviously very simple, plain uh, music like we talked about last time. But, like, I, I find myself coming back to it more often than I do to, you know, the Gates of Eden or It's All Right, Ma's. Um, which are, uh, you know, obviously, you know, that's, really, that's the You shit. really come back to um, Dear Landlord more than those? Yeah, I mean, this stuff is just more listenable to me. Yeah, it, it's like, it's it's uh, shorter and sweeter and more, um, it just more musically. Uh, it, it Like, it, in terms of stuff that I'm just interested in, like, listening to and making me feel good and, you know, kind of, you know, bop around like a bobblehead or whatever, this is more, uh, this is more compelling to me for whatever reason. To, I would never claim that this is as uh, significant or thrilling as some of that earlier stuff. But just in terms of the the longer term return on investment, let's say, to use a financial term, mm-hmm. this stuff uh, it, it does a lot more for me. I actually, I, I have to disagree with you and agree with you at the same time, because I actually do think uh, it has a real longevity in terms of um, replay value. But I, I also would say it is maybe as significant as right. those other records. It does seem that he was shooting for something pretty profound. Uh, and as evidenced by the Bible being one of the books <laughs> that he, it very much inspired this. Like, I, I think it's possible it has the most 
Old Testament uh, references and allusions uh, of any of his albums as a whole. Um, there's a real focus on old t- old time religion morality that kind of floats through this thing. Right, which I guess would explain why he's focused more on these uh, smaller scale, like, um, you know, the, the pitiable creatures of society. Um, here right, these, these outcast characters that right. kind of um, populate the, uh, the album. And John Wesley Harding, the uh, character song that begins the record, it's, I think it's a great bookend or a, a great start to the album in that this is maybe the only character song on the album that seems to be about a uh, really noble figure, uh, stand-up sort of hero, than everyone else who follows is kind of a more imperfect, more flawed character. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. I wonder how I would have felt... Uh, had I been a Dylan fan in 1967 and waited 18 months for this next record yeah. to come out after Blonde on Blonde, and this is what resulted. Well, it's it's funny because in trying to escape this uh, hero worship that maybe he felt was happening to him, that people sort of hanging on his every word and sort of ascribing this deep significance to his every public gesture right he maybe did the the worst thing for that by making this because it actually only deepens the mystery in some way right well it certainly does deepen the mystery absolutely um and gives us a new you know kind of kink in the in the hose um which had previously only had one kink uh kink in the hose in in the you know the the initial i I know he's the spray of dylan uh, so, something like that. Just a, it's another twist, another left turn on the uh, on the road. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that he he probably succeeded. Um, yeah, I mean, he put him, himself out of this. It seems like uh, in a way, when you're listening to Visions of Joanna, you can kind of imagine a Dylan-esque figure being the the narrator of that song, mm-hmm. an actual urban intellectual. Right, hipster man. Sure, sure. Whereas here, you don't even. You're certainly not in the uh, 1960s or 70s. Right. Uh, this this album is somewhere between the 1800s and the biblical times. Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you definitely got something there. It's like. Um, you know, on on after blonde on blonde, it's like uh, you know what what else does he have to do or like prove at that point, right? He's he's uh, ascended to the the absolute heights of stardom and success and uh, cultural and and critical import. You know, uh, Alexander wept. Uh, there were no more lands to conquer. Um, you know that that, right. that quote. And so so this is what he chooses to do uh, instead of uh, you know instead of doubling down on what he had been doing or just uh, going away. I guess he just invents new challenges and new directions for himself by removing himself from the music and yeah focusing on your John Wesley Hardings and your uh, your lonesome hobos and such and in some way not inventing new stories so much as rediscovering ancient ideas right uh, 
something that will pop up again when we talk about the uh, Christian, the born again era. Certainly. But I think that something that does exist uh, throughout all of the career is this effort, which takes many forms, to make the old feel relevant again. Right. Using his, uh, using his own cultural cachet to, uh, to introduce whatever audience is willing to go along with him these uh, characters and parables uh, that exist outside of time uh, that you or I might not necessarily seek out on our own, but because because the man himself is the one giving them to us, we're willing to hear him out. Yeah, well said. Yeah. I think with that, we can hop on along to the next track. Uh, I Am a Lonesome Hobo kind of, uh, like we said, uh, follows in, this, in this, uh, this run of these small-scale picaresque Word of the week, yeah, picaresque. Picaresque um, is the word of the week. And, word of the uh, week. The, word of the episode, anyway. The uh, the white claw word of the week. Thank you, white claw. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, you know, it's about uh, it's about a lonesome hobo. I I am a lonesome hobo. Yeah, this time we're going straight on. This is a first person song. Yep, but not first person Bob. First person character that Bob is inhabiting. Right. And uh, it's sort of a warning about the life of, of the hobo. And uh, it really does make one think, uh, is there such a difference between a hobo and a drifter? And uh, what is the difference there? That's, <laughs> that's a question we've asked ourselves for years. At the end of this song, he literally uh, has a warning. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, soon I will be gone. But let me just warn you all before I do pass on. Stay free from petty jealousies. Live by no man's code and hold your judgment for yourself lest you wind up on this road. Mm -hmm. He's lonesome. He doesn't want you to end up where he is. But as a listener, we all know that it's possible. We all could fall through the cracks of polite society and end up uh, on the dirt in the wilderness. That's uh, where this unfortunate character is doomed to wander. That's true. Uh, I, I found it interesting. This is another, This is the second of two songs on this record. The other song being the title track itself, John Wesley Harding, that Bob has apparently never once played live in his entire illustrious <laughs> really? career. Yeah, I'm glad that you're keeping track of this. I, for some reason, I, this is this is fascinating to me because, like, I, I'm like looking at these play counts. Uh, uh, I've got like a document with it. I'm I'm probably going to convert it into a spreadsheet at some point uh, if we if we keep Ooh, up with this. That's, that's, that's thrilling. To me. Yeah, it's it satisfies the. Uh, you know the autist portion of my brain, um, but uh, you know, like looking at these play counts and then looking at like the the eras in which these songs are played, I'm like I'm 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 already seeing like a pattern, a mental model of like you know the canonical uh, Bob Dylan songbook that existed within each era of his career. Um, you know, like we talked I, about. I need to know more about this, but uh, do you have any uh, quick notes of about this pattern that? You, you've uh, discovered, yeah. Well, like we talked about last time, uh, all along the Watchtower, for instance, has been played two thousand two hundred and sixty-eight times right. live, and it's it's not because uh, Jimi Hendrix had covered it. It's right. not because of that. Correct. It's because it's a good song. It's a cool. Its, it's a cool song. But like Bob, uh, he he appears to have rediscovered this record, uh, or or started to you know try to <laughs> reintroduce it uh, to his fans sometime in the late eighties, early nineties. 
Um, uh, Frankie Lee and Judas Priest was played for the first time live in 1987. Um, wow. Drifter's Escape played for the first time live, 92. Dear Landlord played for the first time live, 92. Wicked Messenger played for the first time live, 87. Um, wow. Down Along the Cove for the first time, 99. Um, so, you know, he, he hasn't played these songs ever live for 20, 25, 30 years after they came out on this record. And then sometime, you know, in that uh, in that era, he just decided, I guess it's it's time to go back to this well. An interesting thing I learned about this record is that Apparently, there's no clear date on when any of these songs were written, and no demos have popped up in any of the bootleg series or any of the other sessions from this era. There was the period where Dylan was playing with the band, um, the sessions that would be later released as the basement tapes. Right. A lot of these sort of playful and um, rootsy numbers where they just sound like they're having a lot of fun. And then at some point, this album just happens in Nashville. It's recorded. Right. And uh, it was actually recorded, the entire album, in 12 hours. 12 hours. He uh, He's an efficient guy when he wants to get in there and get but out of it. But it adds to this uh, sort of air of mystery that surrounds this album right yeah it's but. it's like a it's like a just a snap like a like a, a moment in time a snapshot of his uh his mental headspace at uh you know a particular week in 1967 apparently and it just so happened to also be the record that came out after blonde on blonde you know one of the most titanic uh uh monumental records in uh, in in the history of pop music right released December twenty seventh, nineteen sixty seven, and recorded November twenty Right. It it al- it almost seems like this record should come out in nineteen seventy eight or nineteen eighty four or something like that. You know, just just another well, it random record. That timelessness. It really does not feel like it is attached to the sixties in the way that most uh, people, most music listeners think about that decade right especially the second half of the 60s you don't really hear any hallmarks of the psychedelic rock sound on this album it's like he channeled all of that transgressive energy into riddly songs that leave people guessing 50 years later right which could be the most transgressive thing that he could have done uh you know, at all, given that given that particular uh, moment in time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like he didn't even catch up to this record until uh, the late '80s or '90s. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be fascinated to see what other like play counts uh, look like on these other records going into the future. Like, I'm sure you know all the stuff before this has got hundreds and thousands of plays throughout his career. But yeah, this one, absolutely something we have to keep track of yeah dear landlord six plays lonesome hobo zero i pity the poor immigrant 17 plays hasn't been played since 1976 Um, that's absurd to me because that is now transitioning into it in my opinion one of the strongest songs on the record uh yeah I, i i agree i could have you know maybe a common opinion but i i find this song really affecting and um it's something that I feel could be misunderstood or misconstrued um, given our current discourse where it might seem that he's criticizing uh, 
a, an immigrant who is a vulnerable person in, in a, our country. But uh, right. I think that the key to understanding this song may be just to look at it in the context of all of the others around it. And that, again, biblical attitude, a sort of biblical morality. It's almost as if this song could be from the point of view of uh, God or of Jesus. Interesting. I see this as sort of a uh, anti-American dream sort of track here, right? The poor immigrant is the immigrant who who wishes he would have stayed home, uh, presumably out of this country. Um, and then, uh, you know, comes here and finds his uh, morals and, and ways of life uh, entirely bankrupted by the kind of society in which he exists at this point. Um, yeah, that it's perhaps more of a a criticism of, of a godless way of life rather than of the immigrant himself. Yeah, and again, like, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, instead of calling out the masters of war, for instance, by name, uh, you know, by, by focusing on uh, this this micro uh, object here instead of the subject, the immigrant is the object of forces that are acting upon them. Um, he is he is still indicting those those subjective forces, um, but he's he's kind of taken the opposite um, you know the opposite approach here, um, and and looked at the effect of the cause instead of the cause itself. Yeah, and it makes it a really touching song um, because. There's a nuance to it. The person doing wrong, having been led astray or failed right. by, by the world. By the world, exactly. But again, uh, a very foreboding ending to this song. Uh, I pity the poor immigrant when his gladness comes to pass. As if to say, gladness is a cheap thing. It's different than uh, righteousness. That it's, uh, as opposed to having a pure life you're biding your time filling it with empty entertainments or that's also echoed in the line uh, who fills his mouth with laughing and who builds his town with blood Mm -hmm. Uh, good line fills his mouth with laughing i see a parallel i think between that and the the last line about gladness right being pitiable yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of good lines in this song. I, I uh, I'm, I'm very drawn to the um, you know the lyrics of this, and you know I'm very drawn to the lyrics of Bob Dylan. That's the the least interesting thing uh, I think I've ever said. But um, this this song in particular on this record, I think, has got some of the strongest writing. I've got uh, uh, I thought I thought we could do another another good kind of bit. Uh, you know, like our our favorite our favorite line or our favorite uh, stanza or couplet. Um, uh, you know, for each each yeah, record, yeah. each side of the record that we talk about, um, you know, this this segment, um, uh, you know, we could get another sponsor for or something like um, Sweet Green or um, this is the Sweet Green uh, favorite Old Testament allusion segment, and um, you want to try out their uh, mushroom um, umami bowl, mm-hmm. and then think about your sins and about how you could be. A better uh, husband and a better father and a better wife. Exactly. Uh, we and we want to thank Sweet Green for giving all of our listeners the opportunity to reflect on their um, their sins and their their um, their flaws and uh, on how to you know live a more wholesome Christian um, uh, or or Jewish I guess you know a Judeo Christian let's say to use the 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 terminology the right wing. 
uh, a more wholesome Judeo-Christian uh, life. Is, is, sweet, is sweet green haram? Uh, I, I, I think they only have one or two options that are halal. So uh, presumably if you don't eat one of the halal options and you're trying to keep halal, then you are doing haram. I, I don't really know the mechanics. It, this none of, none of the details are in the copy that they sent us. This segment is sponsored by the spiritual aspirations of sweet green and um that's something we can all get behind i also really like the um the harmonica on this track yeah it's got some good uh good harmonicizing that classic bob dylan that classic bob dylan sound <laughs> yeah um <laughs> the next track are you uh prepared because it's called the wicked messenger yes yet another character we're just really hitting these characters hard. Right. And, yeah, I guess he's he's wicked. Uh, so, you know, presumably wicked in this, uh, this biblical sense, right? Yeah. Uh, I think wicked is kind of a word that you only use if you're from Boston or if you are from the Bible. <laughs> right, yeah. The holiest city in America or the holy book itself. There was a wicked messenger in... From Eli, he did come with a mind that multiplied the smallest matter. Uh, sounds like a real piece of work. Sure does. Yeah, this really does, like, uh, I'm realizing now, thinking about this and reading these lyrics in greater detail, this really is like a, this really is like a Christian, like, kind of record. And I, I totally failed to conceive of it like that, um, I guess, compared just to the, um, you know, the slow train coming um, saved uh, era. Yeah, I mean those are those are Christian records. I feel like this record is a religious record. Sure, uh, maybe that's the the difference there. I wonder why he got so into um, you know. There, I, there's something interesting there. You know, kind of the the rejecting the the Jewish heritage, changing his name, then like you know digging deeply into to Christianity as he goes along throughout his career. Um, I think it's a very advanced form of norm core. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Dylan uh, invented norm core in 1967. Yeah, by being a trad, a traditional man. Right. Um, and and uh, this this song seems to be sort of about a gossip or about somebody who is. Um, someone who spoils things with their words it's a little hard to nail down shocker sure it's got and uh, musically it's it's uh, this is a bit more of a throwback i'd say to the uh, bringing it all back home another side kind of era um yeah maybe not another side because that was still uh, much more acoustic but um you know I, I see some similarities here with um maggie's farm or something like that um and it's got kind of a jaunty uh um uh ramshackle vibe to it um not electric necessarily but certainly more of a bit of a jam than than some of the other songs that we've got on this record you know it's a uh, pretty short and sweet as well and i don't know what else i don't know what there is more to say about it i think it just adds a little bit more of that uh character uh exploration but it's not one of the more stirring songs on the record. Yeah, you know, not every one of these songs is going to warrant 
uh, a detailed deep dive discussion kind of thing. This is uh, this is I think one of the the less remarkable tracks on this record, but it does segue us nicely into the final two songs on this album, "Down Along the Cove" and "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight," which set out an interesting template for what's going to follow after this record. Uh, the next few songs are, uh, as you were saying, a uh, big departure in that they're regular. <laughs> they're they're much more normal than everything else on here. Yeah, they, uh, Down Along the Cove and I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. Yep, they uh, anticipate the explicitly Nashville country western kind of sound that he's going to pursue on his next record. Uh, one, of, one of the all-time greats, I should add. You really love Nashville Skyline. I sure do. I, My man loves Nashville Skyline. Man, just just you wait. Damn, these songs are like such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, like uh, it's a real weight off your shoulders. Like suddenly you have a song called "Down Along the Cove." It's just like a kind of chill, think nice thing to think about. And we start with "Down Along the Cove." I spied my true love coming my way, like. That's that's a good that's a good vibes sort of way to start the song and let me tell you it does not uh stray from that good feeling. It's just Yeah, no. I I love to be down along the cove spying my true love coming my way. Personally. He also says uh down along the cove I spied my little bundle of joy. Um we we love this. We love to have that happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a great uh, a, a great good vibes track to uh, kind of bring us back around after this uh, interesting detour that he takes in the middle of the record. Yeah, and after after having this sort of giant beige spiritual finger wagging in your face for, for <laughs> however long the runtime right. is, we've got some uh, classic lovey dovey, and um, leading right into the final track. Yeah, uh, where. It's a song called I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, and it's not a riddle. <laughs> I don't... There's, yeah, you don't, you, you don't need to uh, overthink this one. Yeah, can you guess what it's about? Close your eyes, close the door. You don't have to worry anymore. I'll be your baby tonight. And so on. Um, it's just a really pleasant song, and uh, both of these songs have a little bit of slide guitar on them. Something we're going to hear a lot more about Nashville Scotland, exactly. But yeah, this is, uh, I mean, it's probably my favorite single song on this record, I would say. Just because it's, uh, you know, it, it, it never gets old. This is something that uh, is eternally uh, relevant. It, it, you can come back to it uh, throughout the years. You're always hoping to be someone's baby. Um, you yeah. Know, at the end of the night. Absolutely. Um Kick your shoes off. Do not fear. Bring that bottle over here. I'll be your baby tonight. I mean, this song is not long. I mean, none of these songs are long, but uh, this one's really short and sweet and sweet in the truest sense. And um, unlike the uh, more compact and dense with information, uh, lyrical approach of all of the songs before these last two on this record, these are compact but just tight, not trying to make you scratch your head. Yeah, uh, this is something I think that I'll have more to say about for uh, Nashville Skyline, and it's part of the reason that I love the record so much. But you know, when, when you have a songwriter like Bob, uh, who we know is capable of such verbose, panoramic, virtuosic uh, lyrical performances, you know, able to come up with just the most uh, intense, 
verbal images you can imagine. You know, your Mr. Tambourine Man's, your Desolation Row, your your uh, Bob Dylan's 115th Dreams. When you know that that these lyrics are coming from someone who has the ability to um, write about you know, e- evenings, empires, uh, returning to sand, and stuff like that. And then you get close your eyes, close the door. You don't have to worry anymore. I'll be your baby tonight. You know, it's just it's like uh, he he knows he knows how much needs to be said, how much needs to not be said, and it and it it's it's all the more powerful for it. I think. And it's something that uh, is going to be a point of contention, I think, amongst a lot of fans and listeners. Uh, is sort of a test of patience, I think, to a degree about. How much uh, your average uh, Bob Dylan fan on the street is willing to entertain a relaxed Bob Dylan? It's kind of um, something that doesn't appeal to everyone. Once you've tasted those heady, rarefied wines of uh, (laughs) the fine fine wines of of those lines like we were just talking about in some of the early stuff and some of the early tracks on this record even are you uh really gonna ride with him just to uh talk about having some coffee grounds and kissing and smooching yeah yeah we're miles away from the um fire and brimstone bob from a couple years prior this is uh this is chill good vibes only bob and and personally that's one of my favorite bobs well, if you also are uh, interested in Chill Vibes Only Bob, you've got to keep listening to Joker Men podcast because there's so much more of that coming, maybe more than you even can handle. Quite a bit more coming. Um, and, uh, you know, plenty of other fun sponsored segments as well. Thank you again to White Claw and Sweet Green. We, we look forward to doing continued business with you in the future. Thank you uh, to Blue Chew also. We, uh, we had to cut that segment. But, yeah, it's uh, all over now, baby Blue Chew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's, it's, built, it's built right in. All right, well, next time we're going to be talking about Nashville Skyline from 1969. Hell yeah. Well, stay safe out there. Happy birthday again to the king. Yes. Happy birthday, Bob Dylan. And until next time, this has been Joker Joker Minute. Goodbye. Take care.